speak. Here we go again. And this time, this episode is coming out a lot later than I would have liked. But this episode is about navigating tough mental spaces, which is exactly why this episode is out later than I would have liked. I, like I'm sure many of us, have been navigating some very tough mental spaces and the margins have been smaller than usual. Perhaps you can relate. In a world that tends to push productivity at all costs, and especially in the podcast space and I guess social media in general, um, you read these articles that say you should release at least one episode a month and record them in advance if you must. And, you know, these are all good tips. But I decided from the get-go to be authentic in my creative process. Uh, this is, after all, about telling stories and, I guess, a personal narrative of sorts. And part of that, I guess, is that I really want to speak to what I feel would be authentic and real at any given moment. And I often draw this from my own experience as well as conversations that I, I have. Um, and I guess in this sense, um, I've realized a real shared moment, I think, in humanity at the moment with the tough mental spaces. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Navigating Life podcast with me, your host, Carol Joy Williams. This is a podcast about life, and if you feel like the points on a compass may as well be WTF and not North, South, East, West, then this is for you. Our minds, what are they really? Are our minds the same as our brains? Well, no, but they're interconnected. And I'm no neuroscientist here, but according to Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neuroscientist, I quote, The mind uses the brain and the brain responds to the mind. The mind also changes the brain. People choose their actions. Their brains do not force them to do anything. Yes, there would be no conscious experience without the brain, but experience cannot be reduced to the brain's actions. Mm, stick with me here, guys. It's pretty fascinating. Dr. Leaf goes on to describe that our minds are energy and generate energy through things like thinking, feeling, and choosing. It is our aliveness without which the physical brain and body would be useless. That means we are our mind and mind in action is how we generate energy in the brain. So I kind of think of it like our brain is a car which is pretty useless without the fuel, which is the mind, and that kind of helps us to go. And let's just say that this last month, the fuel in my car got pretty low, um, and this has meant navigating some pretty tough mental spaces, like I mentioned. This is most definitely not the first time I've experienced this, but this one felt particularly challenging. This can feel so isolating, but what really fascinated me when I put this question out on my social media asking if people had been in the same boat as me recently, the verdict was a resounding yes. And this came from people all over the world, from all walks of life. In South Africa, we have faced some really dark days recently. Just a few weeks ago, I found myself crying most days in a tumult of emotion sadness, despair, frustration, anger, disbelief, confusion, and a deep weariness as we watched parts of KZN and Gauteng going up in flames. It's taken a while to regulate, and honestly, I think even something like regulating has felt hard. We are all battle-weary, 
not only have we been dealing with all of these big level things, but, you know, personal things. And unfortunately, the challenges of life do not take a holiday when other overwhelming things are happening, which I personally think is very rude. But I guess the question remains, and I've, I've written this in caps in my scripts, how do we navigate these times? How do we become strong and more resilient and not hard and more cynical? Because that renders problems of its own. But how do we let these pressures form us? How do we let hope shape our stories, even when and perhaps most especially when it feels near impossible to get up and do the day ahead of you? And I'm not talking about that false kind of hope that is really denial, but that gritty kind that perseveres through trials. I feel like this is quite a mammoth subject and one that I don't pretend to be an expert in, but let's dive in and see what we get. Recently, one of my very good friends, Paul Henning, who you will hear, we've known each other for a long time, um, had a nasty battle with COVID. Uh, He's also a pilot, which means that, you know, the last 18 months have been a fairly difficult patch. Now, for anyone who has recently lost someone to COVID or perhaps had a battle of your own, this story may be sensitive, and so please be aware of that. I asked him if he would be open to sharing a bit of his journey with me for this podcast, and he said yes. As I mentioned a little earlier, Paul and I have known each other for a long time. He's known me since I was in nappies, which in case you didn't listen to episode four about navigating aging and my birthday that spurred me to engage with that topic, it's been a long time. He's my cousin's bestie, and when I heard that he had been admitted to hospital last month, my heart sank. Paul is fortunately out of hospital now and recovering. What he has to say about navigating this time, especially mentally, really blew me away. In fact, he said that COVID, you know, for him was actually more of a mental battle than a physical one, even though he was physically very sick. Anyway, here is Paul's story. Hey there, Smelly. Smelly. A nickname I have been affectionately called by my cousin and by his friends, including Paul, for many more years than I actually can remember. Um, wow, I didn't realize what six weeks amounts to. <laughs> so um, I wrote something down this morning and, and I must say I'm very grateful to you for asking me because what it did was it forced me to sit down and actually reflect on the last six weeks, which I was wanting to do, but never had much motivation to do or get around to. And, and you sort of forced me into that space, which has been really very good. My journey with COVID reminds me of a song the sound of silence which starts with a line hello darkness my old friend which is a bit of a paradox it was a bag of mixed emotions the whole way through let me begin with the honest truth and the fact that when i saw that positive result in a little town of winterton near the drakensberg um i was angry but i mean really angry like i haven't been in a long time I was just almost instantly angry with the world, angry at this terrible pandemic, and angry at God. It had nothing to do with my health and the possible consequences and everything to do with 
disappointment and shattered expectations. Because the day before, we had just packed for a long-awaited holiday with my wife's family in the Drakensberg and driven down for a week in the tranquil Drakensberg with her family. And this was the second holiday within seven months that COVID was going to rob us of. Not only was it going to rob us of our holiday, but the rest of the family too. So suddenly on the top of this anger and disappointment came the surge of guilt um, for what this meant to others. Really? Guilt? That I should feel guilty for contracting a virus? But this is one of the things COVID does. It brings along shame for people who uh, feel now they are a liability on others and blame. Um, the first thing you do is ask, who did I get it from? And start tracking your, your movements for the past week to figure out who it was. And does it really matter? Um, anyway, as we packed the car for the second time in two days, bicycles and kitchen sink included, and strapped the crying kids, disappointed, into their seats, I told myself, be positive, Paul. Be positive. If not for you, then for your family. And I am very fortunate in that I'm a naturally positive person by default, but this was a genuine wrestle um, to change my mindset. I mean, what was there to be positive about? I had just wrecked everyone's holiday. My girls had to say goodbye to their grandparents and, and cousins who they just spent the last 12 hours getting reacquainted with. My wife, who desperately needed this break from work, and just home and the responsibilities. Had to say goodbye to her parents and her sister. And this was one of the toughest parts of the entire journey. Um, but by the time we arrived home after a five-hour journey, I think I had made peace with this and accepted it. Um, it could potentially have been by that stage that COVID had already started setting in and the brain fog was very real. Um, and then there was isolation, which was in itself an interesting space to navigate. On one hand, it was restful, time to reflect and catch up with one's thoughts. On the other hand, I felt like a leper, removed from society and even from my own family. Um, more emotions. Uh, and even though the COVID itself hadn't really started to feature, but the guilt again surged, and uh, as Lauren, my wife, served me um, breakfast, lunch, and supper in bed, and as I heard a four-year-old outside my door struggling to understand why she couldn't see, hug, or as she says, huggle her daddy, um, or come anywhere near me. And um, that really was quite something to wrestle with as well. Uh, and then for six days... To continue with the paradox, darkness, my old friend, I was vacillating between a frustration and, ironically, a gratitude. Grateful that at that point I felt as if COVID was going to be a relatively minor thing for me. Um, apart from a bit of brain fog and fatigue, my O2 saturation levels were good, breathing was normal, and I was fitter than the average guy out there. So I was going to be out in my mind in 10 days. And uh, life was going to be normal. Gratitude, too, that at that point, Lauren had tested negative on her initial COVID test, although later she did test positive. And the girls looked healthy. So I was grateful. 
Um, but once again, frustrated that I was useless to anyone else sitting in my little bubble, as comfortable as it was. Uh, a story that I've related several times recently to some people is that uh, in 2006, 15 years ago, I lay in ICU with uh, malaria, having been in the um, Serengeti for a while um, and contracting it there. And uh, I was immediately admitted to ICU with minimal lung function, um, complete renal failure, uh, and I was on positive uh, pressure oxygen. Um, so I was in a far more critical state than I was now in hospital with COVID. Um, and possibly that light at the end of the tunnel was a reality, but for not one moment was I ever afraid of or even considered a possibility, uh, death as a possibility. Um, and was it just because I was young and dumb or ignorant or um, thought of myself as a, a superhero and invincible? Um, but I think because in contrast, as I was admitted to hospital now for COVID, I was admittedly less critical, but I felt an incredible fear building up inside of me and a fear I knew I had to actively fight to maintain that positive mindset. And on reflection, this fear is of course brought on um, by responsibility. While in contrast to 2006, I was single, fancy free and footloose, and now it's a family, uh, a wife who I certainly didn't want to be a single parent bringing up two girls on her own. And... Uh, of course, Zoe and Vida, my two little angels, who I could think of nothing worse than growing up without a daddy. And this did change absolutely everything um, in terms of perspective and that fear that I felt. I guess the fear wasn't for myself as much as it was for my family. I do also think living in this global season and the pandemic that we're in elicits a certain fear because we're all acutely aware of the possibilities and and we are all surrounded by uh, death, loss, and grief, if not for ourselves, for people very close to us. And we live with uncertainty because this COVID, let's face it, is not subjective. And with any uncertainty and any um, unknown comes fear. Um, having said this, um, that fear was quite quickly subdued and the two weapons that I believe I could use against the fear was first of all my faith. Um, while I lay in bed for the first week at home, I had ample time to spend in quiet meditation. And um, as I thought about it today, two verses came immediately to my mind. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Philippians 2 verse 13, obviously speaking to the fact that God is sovereign, he's in charge, there's nothing we can do, but that he has a good purpose for us. And I believe that my purpose on this earth is not done yet. The second weapon, care. As a family, we were unbelievably cared for. I've never felt a sense of community, love and care um, like we experienced over the last month and a half. It felt as if people were 
uh, running circles around us. Messages came flooding in like torrential rain. Um, and so many that I must admit and apologize, I have not answered. Um, meals arrived at our home on an hourly basis so that our freezer at, at the one stage had no more capacity to hold any more food. Friends collected on, on the drop of a hat medication for me at nine o'clock on a Sunday night. Drove me to hospital. Um, I mean, the, the risk of them contracting COVID itself, themselves. Um, my former church community, a church that I belonged to before for 27 years, were there as if I was still part of that community. They provided me with an oxygen cylinder, for instance, for two nights to see me through with low SAT levels before I went to hospital. And I could go on and on, but it would just take too long. And then once in hospital, um, I no longer felt like I was a burden or liability on my family. Um, and the care I received again, the medication just arrived at the right time, the right dosages, meals arrived, tests were done at night, blood tests, and capable doctors that read those tests and um, deciphered them were in my room in the morning, giving me the right care and, and medical attention. Um, and all of that care just put me at ease. And in fact, despite the severity with which this thing, which, with this thing hit me, um, I felt at peace, calm and confident that I'd beat it. I asked Paul if there were any things that he felt, you know, really help shape our mental spaces um, or help us navigate um, those tough, those tough corners. And I thought he had some really wise and wonderful things to say to that. The three things that I believe have uh, helped me personally to navigate tough mental spaces over the last 18 months since our world changed so dramatically and now specifically over the last six weeks with COVID and recovering from COVID and all that's happened to the family are number one, gratitude. To remain grateful for everything we have. And no matter who you are, there is always something to be grateful for. And I really believe that focusing on that has helped me to um, navigate those, those times that I've doubted or feared or been angry or whatever the case, just because uh, we have so much to be grateful for, uh, surrounded by the community that we are and the love and the family that we have, and the home that we have. Um, and the resources that we have and just yeah everything we have to be grateful for the second thing is generosity again no matter who you are uh, you can be generous with your time and with your um, kindness and with the skills that you may have not necessarily financial resources but if you have those two there is always something that we're able to be generous with. And the last one is simplicity. In this world where we often find ourselves with crowded minds and stress and brain fog, which I must say with the COVID was second to none. I felt like I was experiencing an out of body experience. I, I felt like my mind was not my own. My body was not my own at times everything 
that was happening around me was just merged into one ball of chaos. And I think when that is happening, the best thing we can do is go back to basics. And I have to admit now that having recovered and our family being back into a relatively normal routine and uh, heading forward, leaving all of this behind us, um, my feeling is, is very simply gratitude um, for everything that has happened. We've grown as a family, we've become stronger. As a family, Lauren and I in our marriage, I think have reaffirmed our love and respect for each other. And the girls at four and seven years old, uh, I believe have also, although it's been difficult, gained an incredible amount of resilience in this time. And again, it sounds cliched, but adversity, without doubt, does bring about strength and growth. Wow, what a story. Something that I've been thinking about a lot is how much I hate feeling out of control. And I guess times like this in our history as humans highlights the fact that we really don't have control over much but I guess we always do have control over how we respond to something um, and that's something that really struck me in hearing Paul's story the fact that gratitude is something that we can practice no matter what the situation the fact that we all have something to give and obviously this is going to be at different times sometimes we need to receive and other times we'll be the people that are able to help Kindness has never been more important. Um, it's so easy to just isolate and, you know, turn our backs on what's going on. And, um, you know, if, if it's not affecting us, just kind of leave it. Um, and I do agree that sometimes we just need a dial out. Absolutely. But I think if it's within our power to do something, then it's so amazing if we can. And lastly, what he said about keeping it simple, I thought was so so profound. Well, if ever we've needed a sense of humor, I would say it's in this time of the world. The other day, I even watched old episodes of Miranda with my friend over Zoom, you know, a pastime I can highly recommend. Anyway, up next, what the beep is going on in the world. Welcome to another segment of What the Beep is Going On in the World. And joining me today is Jason Skippers, who recently became a dad for the second time. Congratulations, Jason. Um, I mean, you can't see his face right now, but let's just say that the rings around his eyes tell all the stories. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, but Jason, thanks so much for joining us. And um, I know it, it ended this weekend, but it's been the Olympics. I don't know if you watched the Olympics at all, but um, I must say this is a time where it's just quite inspiring seeing all these athletic people doing such amazing things. Obviously, this year was quite different because of COVID and, you know, not having a lot of spectators and stuff. I, I saw this really funny um, thing on social media and it said, imagine the Olympics was 
sorry, imagine the Olympics, but instead of it being world-class athletes, it's just random people who get selected. Like you get a letter informing you you've been selected for the national gymnastics team and you just have to do it. <laughs> it would be so much more entertaining. Okay, so I was thinking about like, imagine the government just like selects, you know, so-and-so according to your ID number, like you're going to be on the, the relay team, you're going to be in the swimming team or whatever. What would be like the worst email, like, or the worst letter for you to get, like that you were representing South, South Africa in, in which event at the mm, Olympics? Yeah, so, there are so many because. <laughs> Rhythmic <laughs> gymnastics. That was, that, that was number one. I would pay a lot of money to see you doing rhythmic gymnastics, Jason. <laughs> me in that onesie leotard, uh, mm, this dad bod. Mm, oh, now mm, I have to poke mm, out mm, my man's mm, eye, yeah. You, you poke that out because <laughs> the least in the world, there will, there will be no Olympics if I'm dancing. Because mm. also, what, what song do I choose? I mean, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. Maybe appropriate, but. <laughs> it's always appropriate. It's that always song appropriate. is always appropriate, yeah. I yeah. think for me, the worst one would be if I got a letter to say that I need to do the hurdles. <laughs> or high jump or shot puts. <laughs> I think basically anything in the athletic, you know, the athletics arena, I think that would that would probably be my worst one. I'm trying to imagine you jumping over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd probably like get I'd run a like jog, okay, not sprint, let's be real, to the hurdle and then sort of clamber over it. <laughs> No, I think you do you do something else. You walk to it, you you drop it, and then you walk yeah, over. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it. I'll flick it over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any interesting um, Olympics uh, yes. information for us? Okay. I actually Google. It was quite fun, and this is a, an article, a GQ article actually, and this mm -hmm. was some of the most random or the ten weirdest events at the Olympic Games history. So oh I want to pick out two of it. Yes, number one, number ten. It worked from ten to one. Number ten, mm -hmm. solo synchronized swimming. How do you have synchronized swimming and you're the only person in the pool? Synchronized to what? So I mean, yourself. Just, yeah, and that was nineteen ninety two. Just your heart. Yeah. <laughs> it was the nineteen ninety two Olympics. I'm like, okay, in Barcelona. So I'm like, okay, so yeah. So that was that was a weird one for me. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, this for me took the cake, was horse long jump and horse high jump. And this was in um, in the nineteen sixties. Uh, um, oh my gosh. Italian Raimonde de de Inzio, something like that. How so his surname? Okay. He won the gold medal. Um he won the gold medal in this, in this event, but yes, the, in the picture, you should see the picture. So the picture, <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the long jump pit, except like it's water and it's a solid thing. And mm -hmm. it's the horses, the, the rider's on the horse and he's mid-air and he's actually, actually measuring how far he's jumping. Wow. Um, That's so random. It's, it's, it is super random. So like, who gets the gold though? Because the riders <laughs> do nothing, technically. <laughs> Well, I, I think you take your life into your hands if you're doing long jump with a horse. <laughs> you know, I think maybe the horse should get the gold medal for the like athletics parts, for like the sport parts, and then the rider should get the medal for staying alive. Like if he's <laughs> if he's still alive at the end, he gets a medal. <laughs> Weird, oh uh, my gosh yeah. awesome thank you so much for joining us jason it's been so cool to chat and uh yeah just find out some of these really random olympic facts and stories and yeah watch out uh, in three years time um south africa you'll be seeing jason in the rhythmic gymnastics team for south africa so what now 
how do we navigate these tough mental spaces? I decided to crowdsource some ideas for this one. And I asked the question on my social media, how do you navigate tough mental spaces? I had so many people answering this one. It was really awesome. I had a long conversation with someone about how he um, has found reading and just reading a book um, to be really helpful and pretty much the only thing he can engage with at the moment. Um, And so many more other amazing ideas, which you'll hear some of now. So these are um, some of the responses I got from people. And I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who sent me a voice note. I appreciate it so much. What I do to navigate tough mental spaces is to talk to a loved one, someone I really trust. Talking really helps. And when I'm really struggling, I reach out to a professional, be it a doctor or a therapist. There's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking help from a professional. I also find what really helps is taking a digital detox. And in this time, I'll step back from social media, I'll take a break from the news, and I'll focus on spending time with loved ones, being present in the moment, and doing things that really energize me. Prayer, moving my body in nature, sharing food and connecting with loved ones therapy, and lying in the sun with my dog. When it comes to navigating mental spaces, there are two things that I do at the moment that help. The one being spending lots of time in nature. I feel that that actually grounds me. And the other is to spend time with children because I think children helps me to simplify life and to focus on the things that are really important. And I appreciate how children find the joy in life regardless of circumstances. I think for me, what helps me navigate through tough mental spaces, I guess, number one would be writing the words, you'll be okay on, on, a, on my trusty whiteboard in my home office, home studio. And uh, yeah, Carol, you've seen it. <laughs> And yes, it was, I guess, one part the joke, but other part, like, there's so much truth and weight in it. Um, that when I do feel like I'm having a really tough day, just seeing the words that I'll be okay. Um, it's kind of like a comfort and gives me sort of a strength to soldier through. But also, I think secondly, it's also my the, the mental tough space is often linked to purpose. And so I often ask myself, why? Why am I doing it? Or remind myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing and for whom I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for myself, I'm doing it for my family. So, <clears throat> and if, so yeah, so for me, tough mental spaces are often linked to to purpose and, and doing things and just growing. For me, navigating tough mental spaces looks like purposefully taking time out to focus on my thoughts and the mental space that I'm creating for myself. We spend most of our time and our lives inside of our heads. And so it's really important for me to try and make it a nice place to be. I think for me personally, during times where I need to navigate tough mental spaces, it is really, really important for me that I talk to others about it, for me to keep quiet, and for me to be left in my own mind is not a good place to be. I need that objective input from people that I trust. I need their, their guidance and their encouragement, um, which often then helps me to navigate my own tough spaces. My name is Ellie, 
And what helps me navigate tough mental spaces is uh, music. I have always been a fan of uh, a little solo disco or a silent disco. When you put your headphones on, choose your favorite tunes, crank up the volume and just dance around the room. And I think when uh, the world seems a little dark and things get a little tough out there, the thing that really brings me light and sparkle and joy is just some amazing tunes. Uh, you can't help but just move your body, get around, feel excited. And uh, I think what's very special about music is it also is just full of memory. So those favorite tunes that you're going to put on are going to take you back to happier times uh, and give you a little bit of hope for brighter days to come. So um, for me, when I need to navigate through difficult um, mental spaces or times, um, I, I have a tendency to internalize a lot of my emotions and um, um, try and process them internally. And um, so I think for me, what has been really important is um, journaling. And uh, that might sound a bit naff, just, you know, writing in your diary. But um, it's actually um, so important because you're taking something that's internal. It's in your brain. It's in your headspace. It's in your heart. It's in your your body. Um, and taking pen to paper. And I like taking actual pen to paper, not just writing in um, on a computer, but that's also cool. Um, and, and writing it down and externalizing everything that's, um, that's been, that's, I suppose, ruminating in my, in my mind. And um, that really, really helps me because it kind of takes it out of a, of a, of a solitude, um, out of a um, out of a box, out of an echo chamber, and puts it down in writing, and I'm able to process a lot better. And for me, it is getting outside in the fresh air and getting some exercise in. For some reason, exercise makes a huge difference to my mental space. Um, it helps me kind of compartmentalize certain things, and something that I was potentially really frustrated with before exercise doesn't seem as bad when I'm done. Despair means we know without a doubt about what's ahead, but we can't know for certain. So hope is the only logical response and hope is a choice. Hope is a choice. Now that's something to think about. What struck me as I listened to all these voice notes is the variety of ways that people deal with tough mental spaces. From getting into nature, to prayer, to spending time with loved ones and taking a digital detox. This is most certainly not a one-size-fits-all approach, but what I do love about all of these things is that they are proactive. There is definitely a need for grieving in times of difficulty and loss, a time for anger, a time for sadness. I think sometimes in our cultural dynamics that preaches personal happiness as the only thing we need to strive for, we forget that life is far more dynamic and complex than that. Something I'm learning more about is how to not let my emotions rule me. I grew up, like many of us I think, ignoring my emotions completely. That is also not helpful or healthy. 
But being at the mercy of your emotions 24-7 is not a powerful place to be in. And whether we like it or not, we can choose to be powerful people in life. This doesn't negate the pain that happens in life. Something I'm trying to lean into more is learning to acknowledge but not be overwhelmed. Some days I literally say to myself out loud, put on your big girl panties, you can do hard things. Also, I'm not going for full marks here. Some days my emotions do get the better of me. And sometimes it's not even days, it's like weeks and sometimes even months on end where they get the better of me and I'm a complete mess. But there are days and weeks and months where I manage to regulate and rule them. And that is a step in the right direction. Sometimes a root of the mental load and the tough mental space I find myself in is because I let my trust issues have a louder voice. And this pushes me into a space of radical self-reliance and self-sufficiency. I'm slowly learning to know the difference between self-sufficiency and you know, taking personal responsibility, which is important, but there is a big difference between those two things. I'm learning to ask for help, and the reality is that sometimes I have to deal with the pain of not getting what I need. But I have found that the majority of the time, the help has been right there, sometimes not in the form that I, I thought I needed, but always in a way that actually does bring relief. We have to work hard against our narratives of self-sufficiency and we have to realize that we are not always able to be in control. Last year I read an amazing book by Holocaust survivor Dr. Edith Eager. It's called The Choice, Embrace the Possible. I highly recommend reading it if you can. Be warned though, it's not a comfy read and her descriptions of what she went through in the concentration camps are harrowing. But if anyone has a handle on what it means to suffer and then build a life from there, she does. She is still going strong at the age of 93 and has obviously been through the most. I was so challenged by her words and I quote, our painful experiences aren't a liability, they're a gift. They give us perspective and meaning, an opportunity to find our unique purpose and our strength. Time doesn't heal, it's what you do with time. Healing is possible when we choose to take responsibility, when we choose to take risks, and finally, when we choose to release the wound, to let go of the past or the grief. I think it takes a lot of guts and courage to live like this. A lot of dealing with yourself and others, a lot of remaining present to the things in front of you no matter what. A lot of dealing with complexity, a lot of choosing process over perfection, and a lot of relinquishing control. I think another thing that is really important to let go of is this weird idea that we we kind of I mean, you know, I find myself doing this. We rate ours and other people's pain. And something that Edith Eager notes, there is no hierarchy of suffering. There's nothing that makes my pain worse or better than yours. I recently had a conversation with a friend where she was, you know, describing some really difficult stuff that they'd been through as a family. And she kept saying to me, oh, I feel so bad. You know, I know so many people at the moment have got it so much worse. 
And I think it's tempting to undermine your or others' experiences. And I find that often that's the sentiment. At least it wasn't this, or at least it wasn't that, or it could have been worse. And while all of those things are true, I think that often this is the way we deal with hard things. But in these very words, we learn to diminish pain and not only ours, but we take that into our view of others and their pain. And this can sometimes make us less able to respond with empathy and humanity. Like I said a little earlier, we need to learn strength and not hardness. It's a real journey learning to distinguish between those things. Boundaries and knowing your capacity, and you can listen to episode one for more on that, are absolutely essential in becoming more resilient and at the same time kinder. And I guess the reality is that choosing to live this way will hurt more, but it will also bring a lot more joy. My hope for us all is that we find ways to navigate the tough mental spaces that are sometimes part of life that you would feel loved and supported. And if this is where you currently find yourself, please know that you are not alone. You are worthwhile and valuable. And please, please don't give up. Because we're here. We're in it for better or for worse. And my hope for all of us is that we will find true north and enjoy the beauty of the quest. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Navigating Life podcast. This has been a very personal episode for me. As I mentioned, when I started um, this podcast, I had no idea the journey, the personal journey, the way that these episodes would reflect often what was going on in my life. And, you know, when it's uh, asked for a category, you know, you have to like list the category of podcast. I chose one called a a personal narrative or a personal diary basically and so I'm really letting people into some of my thought processes and into the thought processes and stories of other people and I just so appreciate you listening and coming along for the ride do um, subscribe to my channel and share this podcast with anyone who you feel would benefit or who would enjoy it and as always thank you to all the contributors And if you would like to contribute at any stage to this podcast, uh, please do get in touch with me. I would love to hear your story and figure out a way uh, to include it.